Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The that's the sound of sunshine coming down. Edition. As the Bengals hit their bye week on a high note after ending the first half of the season with a victory over the 5-1 Tennessee Titans. Coming up, Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the latest Bengals news, plus we'll hand out first half of the season awards like MVP, Biggest Surprise, and Biggest Disappointment, complete with some spiffy award show background music. And since Joe Burrow has officially been the big story of the season to date, We'll discuss his play so far with a pair of former NFL quarterbacks, Phil Simms and J.T. O'Sullivan. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since... Snack-sized candy bars. There's a lot of candy left over in the Horde household after Halloween, and it's all what's labeled on the bag as snack-sized. I'll admit it, we're not the much-loved house in the neighborhood that hands out full-sized candy bars on Halloween, but we do give each kid a few different snack-sized bars for the variety. The point of all this is that I don't really need a full-size candy bar. For example... One Reese's Peanut Butter Cup does the trick, and I don't feel guilty for eating it. Of course, with all of the leftover candy we have in the house, I wind up grabbing several over the course of the day, but at least in theory, the snack-sized candy bar is perfectly satisfying. Now, let's get to football. The Bengals hit the halfway point of the season with a record of 2-5-1, but the second half includes several games that look extremely winnable as they face the 2-5 Washington football team, the 2-6 Cowboys, the 1-6 Texans, and the 1-7 Giants. And keep in mind that the Bengals took the lead to the fourth quarter in six of their first eight games, so a strong second half seems very possible. This is the Bengals' bye week, and it was also NFL trade deadline week. The deadline was Tuesday at 4 p.m., And that's where I start this week's conversation with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Big news broke about 11 minutes after the deadline. The Bengals have added Brian Allen to the uh, practice (laughs) squad. He's appeared in in 17 NFL games. So that was the only news on uh, the day of the trade deadline. It came and went. John Ross is still here. Were you surprised? Uh, Not shocked. Not, Not totally shocked because, honestly, as we saw with the offensive line, he's an injury away from being a factor, you know, and, and, uh, and if you've got guys that know your system and you can plug right in with COVID, you know, everything that goes along with bringing guys off, uh, off of uh, other football teams and protocols and everything, I, you know, I guess number one, there was no value that they, or there wasn't, nobody felt um, that he was worth what the Bengals thought he was worth, obviously, if they were trying to trade him and couldn't do it. Uh, particularly with the fact that, okay, if there is an injury, we can use them. So you got to offer me more than what you're offering, and maybe they didn't get much of any offer at all. So they decided stand pat and finish the season with John Ross, and he'll be going elsewhere after the season. People are going to be, ah, oh, why didn't you move John Ross and get something? You don't know what there was offered, if anything. That's the big deal. That's the big question. So that's 
And then Billy Price, you know, was another one that people might have been thought thinking about a little bit, and you just give him a game ball, and he's playing pretty well. Uh, Trey Hopkins, who was out there at practice today, I stopped by uh, after picking up some media information uh, for the foot, for the bye week in, in the Pittsburgh upcoming football game, and um, Bobby Hart was on the rehab field. Jonah Williams was on the rehab field. Joe Mixon was on the rehab field. But Trey Hopkins was out there doing things. They weren't doing much. The part of practice we were able to watch. Uh, but but he was out there as well as Michael Jordan was out there. So they were lining up you know, at their respective positions. But without those two tackles out there on the rehab field, you had Adenogy was lined up at the left tackle position and Big Fred was lined up at the right tackle position as they were going through things early early stages of practice. Unfortunately, this time of year, we can't watch much of practice, but I would be very interested to know how John Ross is going to handle this. He publicly has come out asking for a trade. If you're not going to use me, trade me. Uh, That's understandable. On the other hand, is he going to mope? Is he going to show up but go through the motions? Or at some point, is he going to say, basically, screw you. I'm better than Mike Thomas, or I'm better than... Alex Erickson, whoever he thinks he's better than in his own mind, maybe thinks he's better than Tyler Boyd, who knows? But is he going to have that attitude? You know what? I've got eight games left here. I'm going to be a free agent at the end of this season. I'd like to get a good offer from somebody. I'm going to go out there, bust my tail at practice in hopes that maybe I'll get the opportunity to do something. Well, I think his agent has probably said, look, the uh, trade deadline passed. You didn't get traded. Don't do anything to hurt your value worse. You know, just go out and do what they're asking you to do. He was out there at practice today with a helmet and pads on just like everybody else. The, you know, the little little tiny shoulder pads. It wasn't a physical day today, obviously, at all. Um, and, you know, bottom line is, if you do have your opportunity, get ready to capitalize on it. The thing that he should do is watch uh, the offensive line, what those guys did. All five of them get a chance uh, to shine, or four of the five. Uh, Alex Redmond, who I thought played his best game of the year against Tennessee. He was knocking people around, man. I'm telling you, he and Spain, when they were double-teaming those down linemen, they were moving those guys. And I'm telling you, watching tape, prepping for that Tennessee, Simmons was a load. People weren't moving him. I mean, they moved him against his will, and they moved him on both sides of it, you know, Spain and Redmond working Billy Price. Oh, man, it was like, yeah, I like I that. I can see the twinkle oh, in your eye. Man, I'm telling you, <laughs> get a little movement, boys. Make those linebackers have to move around things or put them in their lap. That, that was all good. So take your cue from them. Look at what they did. They were ready. You know, they, pra- they practiced hard. They, they uh, studied in the meetings. Uh, they did the extra work trying to get themselves better. When your opportunity presents itself, capitalize. Don't. Make, be in a situation where you can't take advantage of your opportunity because that's only going to enhance his opportunity as a free agent. If more than one team's interested in you when you're done with the Bengals, you know, it's just the market, whatever the market will bear. Right now, there wasn't much of a market or it wasn't much on the market in terms of the Bengals' eyes, again, uh, to say I, we're going to just let him go for nothing or whatever. We're not going to cut him. We'll wait till the season's over and see how it all goes down. But you know that's that's the nature of the beast. That's the way it is in the in the National Football League. And uh, you know, in today he was doing he was over his illness. There was no illness today. He was out there running around. Everything was fine, um, no problems whatsoever. I wonder the Michael Jordan thing though. It's a little bit scary. Um, you know, Michael Jordan. I don't know if it was flu, migraines, food poisoning, whatever it was, but he he ended up he went down there to the stadium. 
and they sent him to the hospital. Hmm. And it wasn't COVID-19. They knew it wasn't COVID-19 related. He had tested and, you know, there was nothing there. But he had something cooking, something going on. So it was a major issue. But he was out there today, which was good, good sign. Trey Hopkins in the early stages, very early stages, he was kind of standing in the back of everything. But he had his helmet on and ready to go. And then once they started going through some plays, uh, he jumped right in there at, at his center position. And, you know, Billy Price uh, you know, was obviously there doing doing his work today, as was this is the guy that, that I'm really intrigued, B.J. Finney. I wonder if they threw, they threw his name out there and said, you know what, anybody interested in B.J. Finney? You know, we don't need three centers necessarily. They can all play guard, but their best position is center. When Finney, uh, you know, when, when he jumped there in there for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I mean, they have a Pro Bowl center who goes down, and he steps in there. I thought he played his tail off. I thought he played really well. That's why I got a big deal from Seattle this offseason. No doubt. No doubt. And for whatever reason, you know, it, it fell apart out there. I think it was the same thing. Spain signs a big deal. Finney signs a big deal. They're not starters. Got a little ashy. Sure. A little bit antsy, you know, between the and – the, and the organization decided, let's just move on. Well, suddenly there is an actually, actually a glut of offensive linemen. Who would have thought that right. on the Bengals roster? But you got the four tackles, Jonah, Bobby Hart, uh, Fred Johnson, and Hakeem Adeniji. And then you've got this massive pile of interior guys, mm-hmm. uh, Trey Hopkins, Billy Price, Michael Jordan, Alex Redmond, Quentin Spain, B.J. Finney, Xavier Suofilo is expected yep. to be back sometime soon. Keaton Sutherland's still on the, the main roster. Shaq Calhoun is back on the practice squad. But that's nine interior guys. Now, you can have veterans on the practice squad. So, Spain is. Yeah, so you can hold on to these guys. But, man, you that's can, a lot of guys. Right, you can protect a number of your practice squad players in Spain since he was on the practice squad, active for the game, went back to the practice squad. You know, they've got him protected. Who knows how it all, un, un, you know, shakes down. Honestly, next week's practice is going to be interesting because, you know, there's two schools of thought. And here, here's, here's the interesting dichotomy as such that the uh, Bengals are facing because I'm sure over the last year and a half, the offensive line coaches were say to the, saying to the, the owners, we, we, gotta have, we can't have this revolving door. You know, left tackle, that was ridiculous. We need to get five guys and let five guys work together and five guys become one, you know, like you're making a fist, four fingers, wrap the thumb, curl the four fingers. That's the way we want to play. Now, all of a sudden, you have five guys that show up in this game and they show they can play. Well, you know what? We'd like to play a lot of guys because we get guys capable of playing. And that's the difference. When they were saying to the organization, we need to get five guys and hopefully live through a five guy. They didn't have five guys. They didn't have enough guys to fill out an offensive line. Now, as you say, there's a glut, and these guys can all play. And there's not – I don't think there's a huge difference between hardly any of them. I think they're all capable NFL starters. You can only have five, quote, starters. And to me, starter, it's it's so over, overused, whatever. But I, I know it's contract-related and all that, and it's dollars and cents. But if you have seven or eight linemen that can play, play them. If they're all good enough to play – Play them. Hmm. So, so all you know, it's like, all right, well, Michael Jordan, you know, you're going to play the first three series. Spain, you're in for a series. Uh, on the right side, you know, Alex, you're going to go a couple of series. And uh, Xavier, you're going to go a series. And then we'll see. And then just and, – and because if you, have a, if you have a utility player in baseball who can play, you don't go 20, 25 games without them doing anything. So you have, you have linemen that show they can play. 
And that's good. So if a guy gets dinged or a guy's ineffective, boom, you make a move. But if, if everybody stays healthy and everybody's playing at a decent level, don't let those guys rot on the bench. They showed they can play. Let them go in there and, and stay sharp because, God forbid, if something does happen to somebody, now it wasn't just, yeah, it was a game, but, boy, that was a month ago. Oh, man, he's got to knock off the rust and dust. And So if you've got players that – a meritocracy. If you've got players that during the course of practice and then in game tape have shown that they should play in the National Football League, let them play. I've seen situations in college football, they'll play 10 guys. They'll have two lines. They'll have shifts, like in hockey. Boom, boom. The whole offensive line will shift. That's happened in games that I've covered. So, I mean, it's, there's, there's two schools of thought, and I think the school that you go to is based on how many students do you have that can pass the test, <laughs> you know? I mean, if you have smart enough guys that can go play and play well enough, let them play. Billy Price got a game ball yep. after last week's victory over Tennessee. Here's my question. How has his play in the last two games compared to Trey Hopkins' play before that? You know, I think, you know, solid. I think he's been solid. You know, I, I think that uh, the penalty issue has, has graded him down, and, and, and rightfully so. You know, you can't have holding penalties. You can't be jumping. You know, as you pointed out during the game, they went into the, the game with 16 false start penalties, and they got two more. They were number one in the NFL, most penalized with false starts, 32nd. They're remaining there, which is not a good place to be. So, you know, that, that, will, that will hurt you. Um, but I don't think – I don't think Billy's play necessarily has should unseat Trey Hopkins because he got a concussion, but he's playing well. Before we get to our first half of the season awards, complete with authentic award show music, here's a quick reminder that the Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Burrow will oh, look to it. throw. He's going to throw it up the sideline, wow. back shoulder throw, Auden Tate wow. comes down with the ball on the Titan sideline. It's a catch, and that should be Coffin Nails. Bam, bam, bam. We've hit the halfway point of the season, and you know what that means? It's time to hand out some first-half awards. Not the Grammys. We call these the Shrammies, <laughs> in honor of Bengals media relations assistant Pete Schram, yes. who goes above and beyond to uh, help us out. So he's great. Our first half Shrammies, love it. Let's start with the MVP. Who's your MVP in the first half lap? Well, I I have to go with Joe Burrow. You know, Joe Burrow is uh, living up to and beyond. I think what people expected. Dan, he made more than a handful of like jaw dropping throws and plays i mean the the touch he puts on the feathery touch that he puts on these passes uh with the arc that just drops down out of the sky to these tight little spots these windows are are incredible and uh he's got so much confidence in a short period of time i mean without otas and mini camp and training camp and you know they did have some training camp but no preseason games He's gotten to a level of uh, trust and confidence with his receivers that is remarkable. I mean, everybody said he's mature beyond his years. He's playing beyond his years. There are veteran quarterbacks in the National Football League that are watching Joe Burrow and play and saying, my God, 
does he have poise and confidence? How about the music? Love it. <laughs> Jimmy, Love it. Jimmy Sandy getting it done. He's producing for us today. That Strong. is the theme music for the Shrammies. My MVP is obviously Joe Burrow as well. He's got to be. He's on a pace to pass for more than 4,500 yards as a rookie, which would be a Bengals record and a rookie record. But here's the one other thing I'm going to add that has wowed me about Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. And we knew this about him, but uh, when you see it face-to-face, it, it really does resonate. The toughness. Yeah. 28 sacks. 66 quarterback hits, keeps getting up with a smile on his face, firing a strike on the next play. So uh, for all of the reasons you described and a few from me, a well-deserving first-half MVP. My next guy would be his number one, Tyler Boyd. 36 first-down receptions, tied for most in the NFL. 37 first-downs overall, 36 of them are receiving, and uh, he's moving the chains. And he is Joe Burrow's guy. It's very obvious that they have something special brewing. So he's your second most valuable player. He would be, yes. And mine would be Jesse Bates. I'll take one from defense, highest graded uh, safety in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, by a wide margin, more than 10 points in their system. Couple of interceptions, eight pass breakups. The passer rating on on passes thrown to him in coverage or when he's in coverage, 22.1. That's how good he's been as a pass defender, younger than Joe Burrow. He is my second most valuable player. My my second most valuable just edged out Carlos Dunlap just by just <laughs> by, by a skosh, yeah. By a skosh. <laughs> All right. Biggest surprise of the first half, Dave Lapham. Fire away. The biggest surprise of the first half is what occurred in last week's game, the offensive line. Playing to the level they did. Dan, I cannot tell you how hard it is for them to accomplish what they accomplished. I mean, it's it's mind boggling. Honestly. You know, as a former lineman, I look at it and I, and I look at the tape and I'm like, this is historic. I mean, you have 80% of the guys not, you know, have not even a handful. Now, Spain had starts, six years of experience, but not next to these guys. And I'm telling you, it's not as easy as people think. It's not like rolling out of bed and line up next to a guy and uh, you show up on Friday and you have a walkthrough in the head coach's office with the line coach and the assistant line coach and some of the offensive line members, and they're giving you a crash course on terminology and language. And, you know, then they realize, yeah, this guy does understand football. He sees the big picture. He see, understands the concepts here. I think we're going to be okay. And then, you know, the next day or the day after that walkthrough, the very next day, you're, you're on the football field. And Shaq Calhoun, God love him, jumps offside, whiffs on Clowney. And I think Jim Turner says, mm, like Paul Brown used to say, the game's a little too big for you right now. I'm going to the bullpen. Bring in the right-hander. Actually, Spain's left-handed. He's in that left-handed stance. Bring in the lefty, and uh, I feel good about him. And the way he played, come on. I mean, I, I do remember, I mentioned this before, Mike Wilson got traded to Seattle on a Wednesday, and he played on a Sunday. The advantage he had, Blair Bush was the center. Blair Bush knew the exact same calls that Mike Wilson knew with the Bengals. So he would say to Mike Wilson, what we're doing here is exact, this is what it was in Cincinnati. So he had a translator that was like a U.N. translator. I mean, it was, it was much easier. Spain didn't have that luxury, you know. And, man, to do what he did and everybody else that stepped up and played in that game, to me, by far, that was the biggest surprise of the first half of the season. My biggest surprise is also an offensive lineman. And I'm going to caution people who might be listening in their cars, they're driving home, have both hands on the wheel when I say this. Bobby Hart. Mm-hmm. Coaches always say he's better than you think. He's better than Pro Football Focus says. Well, guess what? Pro Football Focus 
finally agrees. I'm not here to make the case that Bobby Hart is great. We know he's not. But Pro Football Focus has him ranked as the 38th best tackle in the NFL so far this year, ahead of Jake Matthews, Anthony Costanzo, Colton Miller, Taylor Lewan, and others. Jonah Williams is 27th best, so a little bit better than Bobby, easily best among the first-year tackles. But the point I'm making is he's actually been okay. I think he's having the best year he's had as a Bengal. There's no doubt about that. And I think what he did in the offseason to prepare himself for the season um, and the commitment that he made, I think, are, are paying off. It was, it was sad to see him get hurt because um, he, he's, I, know, I know the line coaches believe in him. They, they are in his corner without question. I mean, one's, uh, one's rubbing him down, the other's taking care of cuts as the cut man in the corner, man. They're, they're working on him and getting him ready to go. So uh, there, there's no question in my mind that I think as guys come back from injury, Jonah Williams with the stinger, Bobby Hart with the knee, you know, they're going to they're not going to lose their jobs because of injury and and five offensive linemen playing a, a, a really good football game. Again, I'm not trying to besmirch or belittle the Tennessee Titans, but they ain't no Pittsburgh Steelers. They ain't no Baltimore Ravens. And these other guys have experienced it, gone through it. Uh, and there's something to be said for that, because I'm telling you, when you get into that situation, you think you you think you might be ready. But then it's rush hour. And it's it's. There's so many people and doing so many things, and what were the rules? And, and that's the other thing that I want to, you know, uh, give some credit to Jim Turner um, and the rules. Simple. A few rules applying to so many different things. That is one of the biggest reasons they were able to accomplish what they accomplished because Jim Turner makes his system kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Don't overcomplicate it. And, and guys were able to adapt and adjust very, very quickly and I think it's a tribute to the teacher who gave you the tools and, and taught you how to properly implement them. The Shrammies continue with your biggest disappointment of the first half. My biggest disappointment would be everybody they spent money on in free agency is on IR. You know, I mean, Trey Waynes. We haven't even seen him yet. Uh, you know, D- DJ Reader, Mike Daniels on IR. Everybody they paid money to get in free agency has been hurt. And then throw in Geno Adkins, you know, with the shoulder injury. The defensive line I thought was going to be a strength of the football game, uh, football team. And, you know, the thing un- unravels with Carlos. He's now a Seattle Seahawk. God bless him. Good luck to him. Hopefully both uh, parties benefit. But, you know, Geno playing like a one arm paper hanger. And it's, that's hard to hang that wallpaper with one arm. It's, and it's difficult to play defensive tackle with one arm, I can tell you that. And then the injuries. I, that, that's my biggest disappointment is. The defense has never looked the way I thought it was going to look because everybody they paid big money for in free agency. And then Xavier Suofilo as well. I mean, my biggest disappointment is free agent dough, and it was a bunch of it spent, well over $100 million bucks. They have not gotten a return on the investment for themselves, teammates, and fans. My biggest disappointment, and it pains me to say it, is A.J. Green. Mm-hmm. Largely because I thought he was going to be the old A.J. Mm-hmm. Green and just take off and look like he looked pre all of his injuries. And obviously that hasn't been the case. Now, the good news is it's not too late. He had the great two-game stretch against Indian Cleveland where he had 15 catches for nearly 200 yards. But in the Baltimore game, we saw something we thought we would never see. Right. 
him loaf on that interception, sulk on the bench. That's not the A.J. Green we know and love. So, again, it's not too late, but to this point, clearly it's been a disappointment. Sure, no doubt. And he'd be the first one to agree with you on that, Dan. That's and He basically chastised himself after the uh, the Baltimore game saying, that's not me, I can't do that. I think he realized the error in his ways. Last category in the Shrammies. The play of the first half of the season. What do you have? The play of the first half of the season. My gosh. I mean, there's there's a lot of Joe Burrow plays. You know, um, is it is it the Fran Tarkenden like Houdini, make <laughs> you miss a bunch of scrambles, you know, uh, you know, making guys miss and uh, serpentining around like Fran Tarkenden and throwing the football. You know, I think that that might be one. But so many times, Dan, so many times, I think of the Seathan Carter throw. I mean, that couldn't have been in any better spot. The Tyler Boyd throw, that couldn't have been in any better spot for him to, and on the other end, for him to not even see the football and then react. The eye-hand coordination uh, of, of Tyler Boyd and the, and the reflexes of Tyler Boyd, just unbelievable. And Joe Burrow trusts him to do that. I just think so many plays, so many throws of his, he has put in spots where it's like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Sideline throws to T. Higgins. I, I just think that Joe Burrow has had many moments of, wow, I mean, pinpoint spots. I would add the uh, third down pass to Auden Tate yep. that we heard earlier yep. in the show, the Coffin Nails play from last week. But if I had to play, pick a play from the first half, I would pick one of the ones you were talking about, that Tyler Boyd catch last week, fourth quarter, Bengals up 10, nine minutes to go, third down and nine. Burrow somehow maneuvers in the pocket and throws to Boyd when he's basically tied up by a defender and not looking. He turns, and the ball is there on top of his left shoulder. Great throw, incredible anticipation, unbelievable catch, one of the most remarkable quarterback to wide receiver combos I've ever seen. And for Joe Burrow to pull the trigger on it, the faith and trust in Tyler Boyd, because he was, there should have been a flag. I mean, Tyler Boyd, after the catch, he went right to the official and was like, are you kidding me? You call nothing on that? And then the safety was, you know, coming, closing from the backside. If Tyler Boyd does not react to that football, Joe Burrow is risking a red zone interception. That's trust. That's confidence. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just can't wait to see the wide receiver core, including A.J. Green, as a whole, uh, the, the arrow go up in their efforts with Joe Burrow in the second half of the season. Jimmy, is the theme music from the Shrammy still available to wrap up this segment? <laughs> I love it. That concludes the Shrammies. <laughs> now we're going to take an in-depth look at the first half of Joe Burrow's first season with two former NFL quarterbacks. Up first, from the NFL Today on CBS and inside the NFL on Showtime, it's former Super Bowl MVP, Phil Simms. Well, Phil, you know where we want to start, and that is with Joe Burrow. What do you think through eight games? Wow, what do I think? I can honestly say I've watched every Joe Burrow throw this year. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't have to lie. And um, I liked him, of course, coming out, you know, for many reasons. One, just his movement, his size, uh, played in a pro offense, just abused, and, and did so many great things. But 
All those things I talk about, and I just said this to my son today, he's better at all those things now than he was at LSU. Mm-hmm. And it, it just each week I see something, I go, oh, my God, the anticipation. You know, he's throwing a, he's throwing a guy going over the middle, coming over the, the middle of the field, and uh, where's he? Th- oh, oh, there he comes. And he, it's just, of course, he learned that. You know, being a point guard in basketball, playing like he did at LSU with Joe Brady, and he just he puts it all together. And it's been a, it's been a surprise with that. But I gotta honestly say, I, his physical ability, I think his arm, it looks even better in the NFL than I expected. And you know, the great word for him in the pocket and all that, he is just slippery. A big guy that just has it, man. He can, he feels the pocket great. I need to tell him to come up here and teach Daniel Jones. Uh, that would help the Giants out a lot. But, but it's really, it's just, it's been tremendous. There's nothing else to say. You know, um, you were a great that that Super Bowl where you were MVP to, to have your best game in the biggest game of your your life. I just can't imagine what that must have felt like. But Mike Pope, who coached with the Giants when you were there, coached with the Bengals. And I yes. talked I talked to Mike Pope about you as a quarterback and I said if you had to give me the biggest uh, the best quality that Phil Sims had at the quarterback position what would you say he goes let me tell you something Rapham. tough this dude tough might have been the toughest guy in the football team Joe Burrow has that people don't realize Joe Burrow gets knocked around like a piñata oh. and, and and just you know give me more and that coach Mike Pope said Bill Sims may have been as tough a man as I've ever met. What do you think about that, man? Well, listen, that's nice compliments on Mike. Great friends, unbelievable coach through his career, all that. Uh, if I didn't play that way, Parcells would have benched me anyway. So <laughs> and it, it, they, he just – my coaching in the NFL was the same as it was in high school and college. I mean, I had the same guy all three. In fact, Bill Parcells was probably the nicest one of the group. But, <laughs> in, you know, Joe Burrow, if you go back and look at his LSU games, which I watched them very closely, uh, he took beatings down there too. Mm-hmm. You know, he playing Auburn, Alabama. I mean, the pocket was tight. They collapsed it a lot. As great as LSU was, you know, in the SEC, you play quarterback. Maybe Alabama is the only exception I can think of. You're going to get hit by NFL linemen. And, uh, yeah, his look, his calm demeanor and all that stuff, that is a great point to how tough he is. When they played Baltimore this year, now that was across – that went over the line for me. I was, like, really mad when the game was over. Right. And Boomer goes, why are you so mad? I go, well, it's too much hitting at the end of the game when the game is over. And I was just really, you know, and Boomer goes, I know, Boomer, he's your man crush, or one of them. <laughs> but I, I, when the game was over, I was starting to worry about Joe Burrow taking too many hits yeah. because all you got to do is be unlucky one time. True. But, but he's, he's weathered the storm. The amount of dropbacks, the amount of throws is just going to, it's just speeding his career up. And you know, how many times can you rush the quarterback as a defensive lineman, guys? I mean, that's the other thing. And the right, the one thing, the wide receiving group, oh my gosh, it's, it's tremendous. But they're, get, they're getting even better because of all the repetitions in the game that they have, which is, which has been fun to see. And the CT Higgins, who just come along here lately, is just adding to the group. Talking to Phil Sims from CBS, what is Boomer like when you guys are hanging out on the set watching games between your segments and he's watching Burrow? Well, listen, 
he played enough down there in Cincinnati, so you know. He's um, arrogant, <laughs> um, thinks he's the best-looking person in the world. What else can I say about Boomer? I'm a little disappointed. He actually lost weight and trimmed up this year, so that was disappointing. But, uh, you know, no, he's great. And he, he focuses, of course, he does a radio show up here, so he's always on the Giants and Jets yelling and you know, screaming about that. And, of course, is right there, right there with it. Did you see that throw by Joe Burrow? Did you see it, Phil? Yeah, uh, Boomer. I got, I'm watching it. Yeah, I got it. You know, but whatever. So he's, he's really into it. He loves the fact that the Bengals are back on the map. You know, I do too. Isn't it something? The Browns and the Bengals are extremely relevant again. And I don't know, you wouldn't think this, but it just seems to be a great thing for the league. I agree. I agree with you. Um, quarterback play, problem solving. How big of a factor, and Joe Burrow, in my mind, is a great problem solver. I mean, when he looks over the field, yes. he, he sees where the problems may exist and avoids, you know, he solves problems. How big of a factor is that for a young quarterback? You know, Dave, it, it's, and Dan, it's, it's, it's almost really unfathomable to, oh, I, I, don't say words that I can't pronounce. It's hard <laughs> to believe you know, that what he does, in other words, it's so above where I was probably ever in my career and my first couple of years, I mean, come on. I, it was just drop back, and, and why'd you throw that ball there? Well, thought I could get it in there. Yeah. Well, okay, all right. You know, I mean, it got intercepted. But it, it's just his whole thing about having that great feel, seeing the defense, and really understanding the defense. Of course, now and late in my career, you, know, you couldn't fool me. When I we you lined up on defense, I go, oh, well, the slot guy's going to blitz, and mm-hmm. you're nine yards back instead of ten. You idiot! You think I can't see that? <laughs> no, I'm I'm really being serious. Right. The safety could line up twelve yards. I go, you know, he's usually at fourteen, so this is telling me, you know, you, you knew right away. Sure. And he already has that factor in him. I know he can. I can tell. He looks over the defense quick. He's already got his, you know, not his mind made up, but he has a feel for where he's going to go. And then he can find the next receiver so fast, which he did in college. And then when he's going to get hit and he knows there's trouble in the pocket, he immediately, before he falls apart, can find the the outlet guy and just get rid of the football, which is, again, um, the repetitions he had at LSU that last year. But it's natural to him, too. I mean, if you just think what he'd be like if he had three years of LSU's offense right. uh, in him when he came to the NFL, he'd be, well, I don't know if he could be any better, but it might even have been easier for him. Who knows? You were good as a rookie, Phil. I mean, a lot of quarterbacks, their rookie year stats were brutal. Peyton Manning still holds the record for rookie interceptions. <laughs> John Elway completed 47% of his passes as a rookie. You Giants were 6-5 and five in the games you started as a rookie. Right. But are you amazed – that so many guys now succeed right away. I mean, Justin Herbert's got a passer rating of 104.5. Burrow's been great. Oh. You know, Kyler Murray was terrific last year. Does does that stun you? Well, yeah, yeah I'm a little stunned, but I understand the dynamics of it. Uh, I mean, listen, what do I do during the offseason with my youngest son, Matt? We train quarterbacks, and we have a lot of them. And I have high school kids that if you watch them work out, and if I didn't tell you, go – uh, what major is he going to Ohio State or you, you just can't believe because they're brought up differently. I mean, we have guys that run left and throw to the right sideline. We have them going, 
You know, to, we we had a kids, and you'll see the video on Showtime. I, I don't know, whatever, but we teach a lot of stuff, especially like moving, throwing, awkward stuff, and all that. The kids can run and jump, and I'm not exaggerating. We have some kids that can throw it jumping straight up in the air, throw it over 60 yards. Jeez. But it's a teaching lesson on how to use your body to throw and all that. That's why we do it. My son showed it to me one day. I said, wow, man, I don't know about this. You know, these kids. And they started doing it. And all of a sudden, I was like, this, i got to film it. You know, of course, I film everything. <laughs> but, these, but these young kids are getting such great teaching. And maybe not up here in the Northeast. And I don't know how it is down there in the area you guys live in. But Texas, California, they throw the ball so much in high school, and then they continue to throw a lot in the college. So they're coming into the NFL. I mean, man, they, they got it. Yeah. They feel it and know. And the teaching's better for the mechanics a little bit, but just the teaching of the offense and the rule changes too, of course, are a huge advantage now to these quarterbacks. I mean, it, it really is. Spreading the ball out, easy throws, easy reads, you know, about – 30, 30% of the time, I think it's really easy for the quarterback. But it's those other moments when it gets rough and you've got to be very instinctive and have talent is what really separates you from the rest. But these, these Joe Burrow, we're going to have a group that comes out every year that are really quality, ready-to-start franchise quarterbacks. It's just a question, will they get in the right spot? Will they get in the right system and have an organization that's good enough, good enough to let you show everything that you have, and that is the challenge, of course, now for the Bengals and the Chargers, that can they get the organization and the team in a position for these guys to really show their talent and win games under pressure and all that. Our second in-depth look at Joe Burrow comes from former Bengals quarterback J.T. O'Sullivan, who has a channel on YouTube called The QB School where he breaks down video of quarterback play. It's outstanding, and this week, for the second time this season, he put Joe Burrow under his microscope. Go to YouTube and type in Super Burrow, and it will pop right up. About 25 minutes of great insight. Earlier this year, after the Bengals played the Eagles back in week three, JT posted a video titled, Joe Burrow Becoming NFL Joe Burrow, and that week, he spoke to Lap and me. When you watch him, what jumps out on tape? Initially, if you go back and watch the college stuff, specifically last year, I think what jumps out on tape is probably the best season that any quarterback has ever played at the college level. And, uh, you know, you go back and kind of peel apart and analyze why that is. I think that there are things that you're already seeing in Cincinnati as far as his pocket savvy, his ability to be technical and smooth within the pocket, two hands on the ball, shuffling, staying alive, those types of things. He's a better athlete than you probably think initially watching him. And then he's just so ridiculously accurate last year in their in their scheme. And now they had some dudes out there as well. But he was the one orchestrating it. And, you know, th- those are the things that jump off for me, the accuracy, the pocket presence, all those things. And so you know, now you just look to see if, how that translates into the league. It's obviously going to translate really well. But, it's you know, it's not quite the same as being around a loaded LSU at the Division One level. And so it's about bridging his capacity to play the position at a really high level with what Sunday's call for you to do at that position. You know, the thing that uh, was impressive to me uh, in college watching him, now it's translated so far as, like you'd say, with the pocket presence and his ability athletically. He's got some quick twitch to him. I and mean, he was an all-state point guard in high school. I and mean, he was a really – he had basketball opportunities to 
play at the next level. So he, he's got some athletic ability, and he's making these guys in the SEC, you know, quick feet, making a miss, slide step and stepping up in the pocket, and then stepping up to vacate instead of just vacating, stepping up and then vacating. And, you know, he did that in the game. It, it's always everything in athletics starts with your feet and ends with your hands, right? Everything with Joe Burrow starts with his feet and ends with his hands. He's got unbelievable feet in terms of, you know, mechanics, extending and creating, all that kind of stuff. Across athletics, it's always from the ground up. I think for a long time, you know, most people in the, in the quarterback sphere would say playing quarterback is absolutely from the ground up. I think it's evolved a little bit more to be center out now, kind of torso-driven, core-driven. But you're absolutely right. The thing that jumps out on the film for him is his ability to be smooth, always ready to throw, technically, you know, efficient from within the pocket, and just so consistent. Uh, I mean, that's the thing about it. You know, I just I can't ever remember somebody coming – at that level, the college level, the season he had last year, and looking like such a polished pro guy within the pocket. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, those things aren't going to go away. And so now it's just about being able to do it in a longer season against better competition when everything's probably a little bit more equal out there. We're talking to former Bengals quarterback J.T. O'Sullivan. I highly recommend subscribing to the QB School, his YouTube channel, looking at quarterback play uh, in the NFL and also college football leading up to the draft. Uh, Joe Burrow has been sacked 14 times in three games. He's been hit about 30. When you watched that game against Philadelphia, how how bad was that protection in comparison to what other quarterbacks are facing these days? It's not great. It's not sustainable. I think it's, it's probably the more important element, uh, you know, as opposed to looking at the first few weeks. Now, also, you know, even, you know, whether whatever sector you're analyzing the Bengals' performance and Joe Burrow specifically up to this point, it's hard not to uh, jump to conclusions, even if it's just a three-game sample size. But getting hit like that is probably not sustainable over the course of a season, let alone a career. And so it's about building in combination, taking advantage of what do- Joe does really well with what they're doing scheme-wise with how what their personnel is up front. And so some of the elements are you know, about knowing – how to get the ball out of your hands quicker. Some of it is concept-driven, meaning we need to design plays and be have the offense structure to get the ball out quicker. And then it's about your guys winning on the perimeter as well. And so, and then he'll get faster playing as he gets more reps like anybody with experience. And so it's all of those factors uh, combining into an aggregate to allow him to play at a high level for a really long time. Because I don't think anybody you know is looking for a short career from a franchise-type guy like that. How does a quarterback – determine the balancing act of, okay, I'm athletic, I can extend and create. Like, you, you you did a good job on it, the naked bootleg, and he came back on his own. When you come back on your own, you're on your own, you know, and, and, and he took a shot from Malik Jackson. So how do you balance, all right, I want to try to make a play, but ew, I don't want to put myself in the danger. It looks like I might be putting myself into. Uh, how does that, if you're skilled enough and athletic, athletic enough to do it like he is, how do you make those decisions? Where's that balance? Where's the tipping point? Well, you know, the tipping point right there is you're going to get smacked. Right. Uh, that, and you're going to learn pretty hard pretty quick. The, I think it's a combination of his support staff, meaning the coaches, uh, the other quarterbacks, his ability to learn from watching other people. You know, you watch a, I think the thing about it is the position is getting so much more athletic across the league. You know, the best players now or the best athletes are playing quarterback younger. And so the position uh, across the board, across all sectors of football, is getting more athletic. Right. And so you see guys like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Aaron, to a certain extent for a long time, getting outside the pocket, making ridiculous off-platform throws, athletic throws, staying alive, and you think you can do that. And he can do that. But the guys who are chasing you are just 
better, faster, bigger, stronger than you're used to. And so you have to learn that, hey, if I'm going to come back, you know, that's not on my offensive line. If I'm going to reverse field, that's on me. Yep. That doesn't mean you can never do it. You right. can do it. But you just have to know, like, hey, maybe I t- don't take quite as sharp as angle downhill. Maybe I, pe- you know, you see Patrick Mahomes, uh, Russell Wilson guys kind of, when they go to turn, they'll peek the other way out yep. the side of their helmet. Now, uh-huh. I can tell you that's not easy to do. And just because you can peek doesn't mean you can make the turn. You know, I for a long time I would peek, but, you know, I'd get smacked because I can't <laughs> move as fast as the defensive end. And so it's one thing to be able to know it. It's another to be able to do it. And then it's another to be able to do it consistently on Sundays. A couple more questions for J.T. O'Sullivan. You were a Bengal in 2009. You spent time with a lot of NFL teams, whether it was on the roster or in the practice squad or in training camp. Also played in NFL Europe and the CFL. Mm-hmm. What stood out, J.T., about that 2009 season where you backed up Carson Palmer? That was probably one of the more fun teams that I was around and what I mean I don't mean winning and going to the playoffs that obviously helps but just the group of dudes on that team uh is the nicest way I can say it you know we I felt like there were a lot of guys that were all kind of around the same area of their career all cared about ball all you know came together to really make a dent in that division that year and uh it was great you know it started and stopped with Carson at the time and uh he played at a really high level played hurt was able to do things with that offense that uh, I think took advantage of what we had on the perimeter and what we had up front. And it was a blast. And I, I really enjoyed my time in, uh, in the real Sin City. <laughs> Sin City, I like it. Final question. Appreciate you taking the time you have with us. This has been outstanding. A young guy like Joe Burrow comes into the league and manipulating defenses with his eyes. I mean, usually that's not something a rookie quarterback does. Jesse Bates, who's a very intelligent safety on the Bengals defense, said during training camp, man, Burrow, whew, He's really good with his eyes, man. You know, I've learned. I've learned the kid. The kid. He will. He will play with you with those eyes. Uh, is that unusual? I mean, to to be that skilled, even at that, uh, with with your eyes at that coming out of college. I probably think it is. I, I really do think that the position across the board is getting better. You see so many younger guys, you know, off the seven on seven circuits, and they're just getting more reps at more things that you're used to doing on Sundays. And Sundays have changed too. It's a little bit more spread out concepts, you know, information, whether it's a YouTube channel or better coaching across the board, uh, you know, you're, uh, you have better access to better information. And so I remember going to the NFL and there were concepts that I had never played before where now Joe Burrow is probably familiar with a lot of things that he's being asked to do. Now it doesn't mean that you can then go out there and do it in an NFL practice or game like he does. But I, I think, it, I think collectively the position is getting better, but I still think it's impressive that he's able to do that. Even though, you know, I think, you know, manipulating people with your eyes usually happens in zone coverage. You have to be really comfortable with the concepts. You have to know why you're manipulating someone. And you also have to have the rhythm and the timing to still deliver the ball on time. So right. it's one thing to look someone off. It's another thing to come back and be on time where you're trying to go. And so mm-hmm. it's not, it's, it's never just the one-off thing for me with Joe Burrow. The thing that's so impressive is just the package and, and, and the combination of things that he's able to do within the pocket. I just, Never really seen from someone that young to be that consistently elite at it. My thanks to Phil Sims and J.T. O'Sullivan. And here's a quick reminder to join Lap and me for the Bengals Pep Rally Show, Friday from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.